What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. This week's episode, a new chapter at light heavyweight. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and this week we'll be talking about UFC 251, what's next for Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier, Sean O'Malley, Marlon Chito Vera. We'll talk about the obvious news, John Jones vacating the title, and Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovich. We'll talk about Adesanya versus Costa at UFC 253 being pushed back to September 26, Paige Van Zant to bare knuckle. And of course, we'll look ahead to Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz this Saturday. But before we get started, I'd like to introduce my new guest host. This man, one of the nicest guys, not per me, but per everybody I speak to about him. He's worked for The Score. He's wor- he works for pretty much every outlet out there that doesn't have a giant E on the microphone. Mr. James Lynch himself. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Gabriel. It's great to be talking some fights with you today. We got uh, picked a good week, huh? There's a lot, uh, lot going on. You know, this show was very different yesterday morning, let me tell you. <laughs> Monday morning, it was like, hey, this is, you know, this is a nice, easy show. It's going to be quick. We might have to throw in some other miscellaneous stuff and not really. Um, for Guys, I, I always feel like I got to... You know, I, I got to give the guest hosts their credit, especially when I have someone outside of the norm coming on. I think the biggest compliment I could give about James Lynch, if you guys follow MMA, you've probably seen him um, out there. He does great work, consistent work, week in, week out. You don't miss event previews. May Every fight, there's always a MMA pros pick, UFC pros pick, and you know, so fans have gotten to know you quite a lot. I think the biggest compliment I can give you outside of the generic, he's a hard worker, he's this and that. James Lynch is probably one of the few guys out there, I'd argue the only and for sure the best guy, that he will go out there and he will interview an LFA undercard fighter and give it the same time and effort the same day as he's getting an exclusive with a guy like Israel Adesanya. For his channel. That is the kind of level that James Lynch brings. So James, I want to just give you that shout out. It does not go unnoticed. And once again, I am very happy to have you here. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, honestly the best compliment I could get. It's something I preach to a lot of people. You know, don't just go for the big names. You got to treat every interview the same. I actually had a scenario happen. I think it was last week or week before. It might have been two weeks ago where I, I literally was interviewing a contender series fighter. And then that same day I was interviewing Stipe Miocic, the heavyweight champion, like an exclusive interview with him. So, um, yeah, I, I my philosophy has always been treat every interview the same. Everyone's got a story. And I think if you keep that mindset throughout, you know, if you're covering the sport, if you have that mindset throughout your career, you're going to be better off because you should never think you're above a fighter or anything like that. I've never, I'm never going to be that way. It's a, it's a, just something I've always subscribed to. And I think it's worked out well because uh, as you know, Gabriel, uh, the key to, you know, getting ahead in this industry is creating good relationships, uh, providing good coverage and just being professional. And so, uh, honestly, that's like the best compliment you could give me because, uh, that's how I feel. Like I just, you know, you can't treat anyone differently. So, uh, yeah, appreciate that, man. Uh, thanks. Great way to start the show. I got to say, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know what? You got to give credit where it's due, man. 
Um, let's get into what the people came for, though. Let's talk about some fights. Obviously, on Saturday, the big one, the trilogy finally comes to a conclusion. Stipe defends with a unanimous decision against Daniel Cormier. Um, before we talk about the X's and O's and how it played out, some people were saying this is a 4-1, pretty easy sweep for Stipe. Others saw it 2-2. This was a tight race going down the stretch, even the fifth round being competitive. How did you score it? Was it easy or was this one a lot closer than maybe a lot of people thought? I'm kind of in the middle. You know, I thought it was a close fight, but I did have Stipe winning the match, um, winning the title fight, I should say. I had Stipe winning three to two. I know some people had four to one. Look, if you go four to one for Stipe, no complaints over here. It, there was, you know, some of those rounds, you know, you absolutely could have given four rounds to Stipe Miosic. Um, there's a few things that happened in the fight. Like what, what I've been, I've been getting a lot of feedback. I actually got people mad at me saying it wasn't a close fight, but I think some of those rounds could have gone either way. And uh, especially like, for example, the second round, you know, you've got uh, Corn winning the majority of the round and then Miosic flurries him at the end and nearly finish him like how do you score that round right like it's difficult and then the so I gave Cormier the first round and I gave him the fourth round now if you wanted to give Stipe the first round no complaints there close round no issues at all but uh it, like I, I know it sounds weird for me to say but like I thought Stipe won but I do think it was a close fight like just because someone won a particular round does not mean the the fight wasn't close do you know what I mean like it's I think we fixate too much on you know who won what round or whatever rather than looking at the, the fight itself it reminds me a bit of what we had with Volkanovski and Holloway a few weeks ago where it's like, can you really honestly say that Holloway won like every single round? You can't. You had to have given one of those rounds to Volkanovski. Like, it, so that's sort of what it comes down to for me. Um, you know, I when it went to the scorecards, I thought Stipe was going to win. I actually picked Cormier heading into the fight, so it's not even like I was being biased. It, it just, it was one of those fights where, um, you know, I felt like it was, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was close, but Stipe ultimately, you know, took over and, and really showed that he is the best heavyweight of all time. And I think, I know we're going to start to talk about the implications of the fight, but uh, I thought Stipe put on, you know, one of the best performances of his career. For sure. Um, I was there in Vegas last week, and uh, yeah, the consensus in the media room was that this was pretty handily 4-1 Stipe, um, arguably 3-2, but I felt like a lot more people felt like, yeah, this is just a very Stipe fight across the board. Um, for myself, like you, I picked Cormier. I actually had it the... Um, 3-2, in the moment, I haven't watched it back yet, uh, admittedly, but I thought Stipe might have, sorry, DC might have gotten just enough. I gave him just barely, I'm talking skin of his teeth round one. He got the brief takedown. I thought he had the big shot at the end of the first. Stipe did steal the second round from him. Uh, round three, Stipe. Round four, uh, I think uh, unanimously everyone gave it to DC, you know, uh, injured eye everything else he did work the fifth round for me was the key because I felt like despite everything competitive I thought DC was landing on the chin a lot more than people are mentioning but the fact is Stipe was eating those shots well and I think when he was throwing his shots were having more effect even if they didn't seem to land as clean I just felt like Stipe was moving DC around a lot more. I think the fatigue and the damage was starting to accumulate there and you were starting to see it. Um, like you said, competitive round. Those were all competitive rounds. Both guys got their shots in. Both guys had good moments. I was shocked about the lack of wrestling. I'm assuming it was just, uh, you know, he respected getting into DC, sorry, getting into Stipe's range. I'm assuming part of it was fatigue and energy and everything else. But 
Yeah, that was the big X factor is that after all that, DC still tried to outstrike Stipe. And the fact is, if that isn't working for you as well as in the second fight, you know, it's time to go to plan B, which was supposed to be a strong one to get it to the ground. So that was surprising. But yeah, when I look at it, it's like, I don't have a problem them saying Stipe won. I felt like that's a very fair one. But yeah, DC got a lot more licks in than I think a lot of people give him credit for as of Wednesday. But that's the fight game. It was very close. And that's how it all plays out. Uh, James, I'm going to toss it to you because we have quite the interesting um, situation. We'll get into bigger light heavyweight, um, you know, the title picture in a couple minutes. But I think for now, the big question is Francis Ngannou. Is there a chance anybody else sneaks in there? Obviously, a John Jones. Yes, of course. I mean, John Jones will always be a factor in this. He's one of the biggest stars in the UFC. The fact that he's just walking away and, you know, it's it's obviously over money. And, and I, I see both sides of it. I do because they're in sort of a, a tough predicament right now. John Jones has been with the company for a very long time. He's been a champion for a long time. Um, he's one of their biggest stars. He should be getting paid you know, more money to go up to another weight class and fight a heavyweight, especially with some of the names up there. I mean, we can, I think we can both agree that heavyweight has, you know, more marquee names right now than I think light heavyweight does. No offense to Dominic Reyes or Jan Blakovich or Tiago Santos or any of those guys. But I just think if you look at like a Naganu or Derek Lewis or any of the names up there, even like a Curtis Blades, I think those are some, you know, more marquee matchups for them. So there's that. Then there's the other side of it where it's like we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's no crowds right now. The UFC's bent over backwards for John Jones. Like if this was any other fighter that had gone through the things that John Jones has gone through, there's no doubt in my mind they wouldn't even be with the promotion anymore. So you got to look at that side of it too. So I can see the UFC not willing to pony up the money to pay for a John Jones. But on the same time, John Jones has been with the company for so long. He's one of their biggest stars. Like how do you not pay a guy like that? So Jones could absolutely slot in there if the money's right. Like I didn't think we'd see George Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal and, and Usman fight, but obviously they they worked it out financially for Masvidal to take that fight. Will they do the same thing here with Jones? Do they need John Jones? Not necessarily. I mean, here's the thing people got to remember. No matter what happens, the UFC's got to do cards. That's why you're seeing a lot of these fighters get signed to the UFC when maybe they shouldn't be because they have to fill up cards. No matter what, ESPN needs cards to put on. So if John Jones is not fighting or someone else isn't fighting, they're still going to fill those cards up. I know I went kind of a long-winded answer there but i'll get back to what we're really talking about here which is what is next i think if i had to give a percentage i'd say francis naganu 95 percent chance i think he fights next for the title miosic already has the win over him naganu's done more than enough in that division including two knockouts now over curtis blades that guy deserves the next title shot there shouldn't be anyone else there should be no other debate they just announced blades and lewis yesterday you've got overeem and sakai you've got all these fights lined up rosenstrike's not going to get a title shot so it, the, the stars are aligning for that rematch between stipe and naganu and if you remember in that first fight naganu did hit stipe pretty good miosic was able to survive can he do that again in the rematch uh, we'll have to see but i like i said 95 percent sure naganu gets that next fight yeah, I'm with you there. I think that for me, um, look, obviously anything could happen if, you know, like Nganu's car doesn't start, they could quite easily <laughs> have John Jones in there against Stipe and have a mega event, you know, no questions asked, for sure. I think for me, um, uh, I'll say this, the one caveat to Stipe versus Nganu first at this stage is that we haven't seen John Jones since February. Uh, assuming, St you know, look, Stipe is happy at the firehouse. I think it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Stipe. But, um, uh, look, uh, if we see him before the end of 2020, I would be very surprised. I feel like, you know, the earliest we may see Stipe versus anybody could be January, February. 
with that, if he were to fight Ngannou in January, February, you're talking about John Jones may not see a title fight until next July at the earliest, I feel like is what we're looking at. So he already threatened, and uh, I don't want to say threatened, let me rephrase that. He said he is open to uh, sitting out up to two years. But even then, that is quite a lot for a guy who I think wants to get in these good fights now while he is still, you know, he's still undefeated. He's still pretty close to the height of his powers. That to me is the only thing is John Jones waiting that long possibly to fight for the title. On the other hand, I'm with you there on everything for Stipe versus Ngannou, um, especially the tear Ngannou is on. And for me, the big thing is that if you have John Jones wait for Stipe Ngannou, either way, he gets an awesome fight because if you fight Stipe, you're fighting the consensus greatest uh, UFC heavyweight champion of all time right now with the the accolades and the consistency over the last few years for Stipe. If Ngannou wins, John Jones is fighting a Francis Ngannou who will have, in all likelihood, knocked out Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, and now Stipe and Jorzinho Rosenstrike consecutively. That's an easy fight to sell too. So either way, UFC gets their mega fight, mega pay-per-view with John Jones moving up for the belt. But yeah, my only thing is having John Jones wait that long. And so I think that that's something. But I think at the end of the day, the UFC wants to break that logjam, getting Ganu in there for the title, and suddenly all the pieces moving forward, it's all smoother, in my opinion. Yeah, what's interesting is, I mean, you know, Jones has had layoffs in his career with the, you know, the steroid allegations and everything else. So it's like, it's, you know, he's had gaps in his career. So it's, I'm, I think, I think he's at the point now where, you know, it's, it really seems like a money thing to me because I, I think, you know, you do the, you do the Reyes rematch or you do the, you know, Santos rematch or, or whatever. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that like heavyweight that, that could happen. You could do the young Blakovich fight, but are those really big money fights? Not really. So I could see Jones being like, look, I could fight those fights. I could, you know, continue to keep going, but the money's at heavyweight, and I just see it. And I heard rumblings of this even before he fought Reyes that John's was, John was always looking to go up to heavyweight, and that's why you heard him talk, you know, fights with Israel Adesanya. I think he looks at like you know Henry Cejudo and some of the other fighters that are taking these super fights and making more money. And John's like, look, like you know, I'm in the prime of my career right now. I need to, you know, start getting these these bigger paydays. So I think that's what he's looking at because if you look at the light heavyweight division when he started, when he was champion, look at some of the names he was fighting back then. You know, Lyoto Machida. Shogun Hua, Rampage Jackson, Rashad Evans, those are way bigger names than, unfortunately, and I love the guys, but like Dominic Reyes and Jan Blakovich and Thiago Santos. So I think he's looking at that and being like, you know, uh, there's just more marquee matchups up there. But if you want to give me those fights, I got to get paid well. And so that's like I said, they're in sort of this tough predicament with the pandemic going on and then John wanting to get paid more. So we'll see. I, again, money always talks, you know, that that's always the saying. So we'll, you, you never know what can happen. For sure, and I'll get into John Jones at light heavyweight because I think there's a few caveats in there for sure. But no, I, I'm with you there in terms of getting paid. Um, for me, I guess the real thing is that having John Jones wait to make it to heavyweight, I guess you would have to ask yourself, you know, is John Jones slowing down? There's a lot of opinions about that. You could do a whole th mega thread on Reddit about whether or not he actually is. But the fact is, if he is, that is also adding to you know, challenges for him if he's about to sit out more than a year plus from February. But we'll get into that. Um, real quick before we move on to Cheeto versus Sean O'Malley. Uh, if this is it for DC, I guess 
parting words on his career because he certainly had a decorated one and an awesome one. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, I was reading that thread yesterday that John, well, it wasn't a thread, but John Anik had a tweet out there and said that, you know, DC is one of the greatest of all time. And I certainly agree with that. But I saw Josh Gross chime in and say, is he? You know, he lost to Jones. He lost to Miocic. Yes, he won two titles. But, you know, how can you put him up there? So it is, it is kind of an interesting uh, predicament. And I do think that DC does get favored a little bit more over fighters because of his likability, because he's a commentator, because he does a show every week on ESPN. Like, I think, like, even heading into the fight, you would almost think that Cormier was the champion the way he was being promoted. And that's another reason why I like seeing Stipe win, because it's like the guy needs more respect. But, uh, you know, in terms of Cormier's career, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, his legacy that people sort of forget about or overlook is his run in strike force. I mean, that's really what made his mark. Uh, people forget he fought as a heavyweight in strike force and he you know beat guys like um you know uh, josh barnett and jeff monson and i think bigfoot silva as well so i mean you have to look at those wins as well as far as quality you know victories because people are just like well he just beat steve and Derek lewis but it's like no he actually had those other wins uh, outside uh, the ufc as well he also had a win over frank Mir uh, when he made his ufc debut so uh yeah dc is going to be one of the one of the greatest um you know in terms of like greatest of all time I mean, he did have some key losses, so you got to point that out. But he is a title holder, so you can't ignore that either. And he's got to be, uh, you know, regarded as, as as one of the best in in that. You can't take that away from him to, you know, be the only that one of two fighters to knock out Stipe Miocic. I mean, that's still pretty impressive. So, um, yeah, Cormier, I think, will go down as as one of the best ever, but not the best ever, just because he did have some shortcomings. But you know, there's a lot of uh, asterisks next to some of those, including, you know, obviously the Jones stuff with the Jones being on PEDs and getting suspended. And, and just there was it's just been a weird career for Cormier, but uh, one that is obviously very memorable. Yeah, um, I think the how will I say this? This is going to sound like a backhanded compliment. I'd like to make it clear it's not. And, you know, so guys, when you're listening, let me say it. Daniel Cormier, I think that um, his biggest thing is he probably goes down as the second best light heavyweight of the last decade. Um, And the losses to John Jones are there. And then, of course, the recent losses to Stipe are there. But to me, the biggest thing about Cormier, and I've said this um, several times on the show, it took me a minute to become a believer. I felt like, especially in route to his first title shot, he was getting a lot of guys at probably the best time to get them. I mean, Frank Mir, he got him in the midst of a losing streak. Dan Henderson, I think, was not prepared to be there with the guy, you know, who was at the height of his powers in D.C. Um, There were a bunch of those fights for a while there for D.C. as he was on his way. So I actually felt like at the time, he was getting a little bit of the promotional push. I wasn't necessarily seeing him as that guy. Really, that all changed for me when he did get those title fights, when he got, you know, beating Rumble twice, Gustafsson in an epic one, um, those fights for sure. Vulcan News Demir, Vulcan was on a great win streak when DC handled business. Um, that all did help me. Um, when you talk about the losses, for sure, um, there, that's why he will, you know, he's unfortunately just kept out of those top spots, you know, amongst the Andersons and the GSP and uh, guys like that, Demetrius. But to me, the biggest thing that you saw was that when John Jones had those issues happening, his reputation was always, oh, you know, you're either Team Jones or Team DC, right? Fans love picking teams and getting bragging rights like we all do. When John Jones had his issues, suddenly those who were detracting DC just because they favored John Jones, that all changed. And I think he started getting appreciated 
for his body of work. And yes, his likability. We get to see him on TV a lot as a commentator. He's got three programs or whatever on ESPN+. Plus. I've lost count. Um, he's done well for himself. But yeah, I think to me the biggest thing is, look, he did not beat John Jones in the cage. He does end the trilogy with Stipe one, you know, one and two. But the fact is, he's got a body of work that really cements him as one of the elite fighters. And really, when the opportunities came up, he won a bunch of them. And I think that's just his enduring legacy is he's a guy who didn't look the part, but he won some big fights and he he changed his uh, legacy, I think. And that's always going to be set in stone regardless of anything else. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you, you can't ignore all, all the accolades he's had in his career, even even before that. And just, you know, think about how long his career has been. It hasn't been that long if you look at when he made that transition from wrestling to MMA. So even that in itself is impressive. I mean, I just did a preview this morning for Overeem and Sakai. And, you know, Overeem made his MMA debut in 1999. And you look at Cormier and when he actually came into the UFC or even when he started fighting, I think is like, you know, when he started for with King of the Cage, like that wasn't that long ago, maybe like 10 years ago. I mean, that's that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, total props to Daniel Cormier. He's got a bright future uh, in broadcasting and everything else he does. And, you know, I think he's an inspiration to a lot of people, especially, you know, having, you know, personal tragedy and coming up short in the Olympics. And for him to, you know, win two UFC titles, very impressive, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, that's not even to mention everything else, like you said. I mean, all of that other good stuff that he's done. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to a lot more DC on television. I, I really can say that. Um, before we move on to the big news, uh, Marlon Vera upsets um, Sean O'Malley. Uh, James, um, quite bluntly, I've watched it a few times. It was a short fight, thankfully. Um, when I look at it, uh, my final thoughts on this, I do believe that Sean O'Malley might have a bit of a um, just physical issue with that ankle and I don't know if that's just he throws a lot of kicks in practice and he's uh you know similar to Paige Van Sant for whatever reason you know it just keeps injuring itself um regardless of what kind of fight he's in um now mind you I am aware that he's had a layoff he hasn't really injured it in a while but to me I feel like if you are practicing striking as much as I believe Sean O'Malley does the kick that landed he should still be able to take you know, a couple more of those, I'm not saying like 10, but certainly more than he took on Saturday before he starts experiencing the kind of issue that he did against Cheeto. So that being said, Cheeto wins fair and square. This is not a fluke. It happens. Cheeto Vera, his eyes, he looked focused. He looked ready to fight. I think Sean O'Malley looked good, but they were obviously still revving up. We weren't in the big heat of battle yet. And in the end of the day, uh, Sean gets injured, he was compromised, Chito Vera was doing all the right things and looked in route to, you know, even if it kept going, you're talking about possibly being stopped on the stool if Sean O'Malley couldn't walk back out there. So, odd fight, it's not what I would have, how I would have liked it to end. You want them to end with, you know, one just proving their skills are better, but this one plays out with a clear win for Cheeto. I think that he did all the right things, and you can't just say Sean O'Malley got injured. Cheeto threw the kick that was the first domino to start him rolling. Yeah, anyone who says that Cheeto Vera got lucky, you are nothing more than a Sean O'Malley mark. No more than that. I mean, you got to give Chito Vera credit. Look, heading into this fight, I actually picked I picked O'Malley by decision. Uh, people who said that O'Malley was going to knock out Vera in the first round, it's like, you watch his fights? This is a guy that's had 
I don't know, 20 plus fights and he's never been finished in his career. And he's fought guys that have really good knockout power, even more knockout power than, than O'Malley to a certain degree. You got guys like John Lineker who never finished Chito Vera. So this idea that O'Malley was going to go in there and starch him was just was just crazy. Now, in terms of the injury and, and you know, you bring up a good point about, um, you know, this is this is now the second time this has happened, because if you remember against Andre Sukumta, he hurt his uh, ankle as, as well in that fight. So I don't know if it has to do with the weight cut. He is a pretty big bantamweight. I don't know. Uh, if he's got to have more calcium, maybe he needs to get more milk or, or broccoli or something in his in his diet. I'm not sure what the deal is, but um, you know, I, I do remember remember Corey Hill way back in the day. He was like a huge lightweight. I think he was like six feet tall or something. Uh, rest in peace, by the way. Corey left us uh, years ago, but uh, he was another guy that had sort of a really weird build. He was a huge guy for the weight class, and he he had a really bad leg injury, and a lot of people felt it was because he was just cutting too much weight. So I'm not a doctor, not going to pretend to be one. I don't play one on TV, so I'm not going to sit here and say that that's the reason. But it is interesting. This is the second time this has happened. So, um, you know, unfortunate for O'Malley. But look, give give Chito Vera full credit. He hurt O'Malley. You know, he he. You know, you could argue as well. The Weasel actually has a great video on this if you follow him on YouTube, uh, explaining how you know Chito did hit Sean O'Malley and that you know played a role in the injury occurring. And Chito took advantage and went out there and finished him. And biggest win in Chito Vera's career. I think it's a bit of you know vindication and, and retribution for Chito Vera with the way his the fight before went with Song Yadong, where I think a lot of people felt like Vera won that fight. And Vera is one of the most underrated guys in the division. He wasn't ranked heading into this fight. And to see him get a big win like this over a superstar in Sean O'Malley in the co-main event of a UFC pay-per-view, I think is great. I don't know if you saw Gabriel, but like the president of Ecuador like tweeted at O'Malley giving him congratulations. Like that's a huge deal. And and like just to see, you know, Vera get this get this opportunity and, and really, uh, you know, take advantage of it, I, I think is great. So, you know, Vera's got big things ahead for him. I actually did an interview with him yesterday in MMA News. You guys can check it out there on the MMA News YouTube channel. But uh, he wants Jimmy Rivera next. I say keep this train going. He's looking to fight again this year. I think that's great news. And for O'Malley, you know, people that say said he was overhyped, this was perfect matchmaking. You know, Vera was a guy who needed a sort of a breakout win and O'Malley was was destroying the guys he was facing for the most part. You know, you look at like your Eddie, Eddie Winelands and uh, Quinones. He was getting highlight reel finishes over them. So this is the right matchmaking. O'Malley wasn't rushed. He isn't overhyped. He's not done. All those people saying that are morons. You got to go back and look at you know how you build up a prospect. And the UFC's played this perfectly. And yeah, O'Malley lost, but he'll be back. He's young. He's 25. He's got plenty of room to improve. And you know we'll we'll see what's next for him. But I think if you are going to match O'Malley up with someone next, it's got to be someone out of the top 15. Someone that can give him. That that bounce back win like a Quinones or someone of that caliber that can get him back on the winning track because you don't want to kill this prospect. He's one of the most popular fighters on the card. You know, you mentioned those pros picks videos I do. I mean, that got nearly as many views, if not, I think it might even got more than the main event. Like that's just how into Sean O'Malley people are. So you got to be careful with him in terms of how you build him up. But uh, yeah, O'Malley will be back and, and Vera, big things ahead for him in the bantamweight division. This was a really important fight. And uh, yeah, credit to Chito Vera for getting the win. No, I'm with you there. Uh, Sean O'Malley's not done. And I want to give him credit. I think a lot of people, you know, I, I know, you know, he'd ruffled feathers along the way. So the guys came out on Saturday to, uh, you know, the, you do what you do when you're building rivalries. You say some, you throw a little salt in the wound. You do a little kicking while a man is down on occasion. You see it all the time. Um, I don't think this is a matter of Sean O'Malley's heart. Because just like the Andre fight when he hurt the uh, ankle the first time, he went out there and still finished the fight. Uh, Sean O'Malley didn't look for an out when he injured himself on Saturday. He was still in there trying to win, so I want to give credit where it's due. Like, yes, he was hurt, but he also wasn't looking to get out. Even when he went down the first time, you know, he's out there trying to, um, you know, pull guard and do something with it. 
you got to give it where it's due. Um, for sure, I think he needs to see. Uh, uh, look, UFC is invested in him. I'm sure they're sending him to the specialist of all specialists that they have available to figure out if this is, you know, an underlying issue. If there is one, right there. Uh, I also say this every time I bring up Chito Vera. He's got a very interesting approach. He's like, uh, you know, this is going to sound weird when I compare it. He's almost a bit like a Hispanic Derek Lewis. And what I mean by that is that his ability to be nonchalant about his situation is just hilarious sometimes. I'll say this. I remember I was there for his fight last year. I believe you were there last July. I forget who he fought, but... You know, you, they bring all the fighters out for us and you scrum and all that. They have their their suit or their, um, you know, their Reebok fight kit. And I swear, Chito Vera walks in with, like, this mechanic shirt. Looks like he could have been changing oil and tires about an hour earlier. And I legit forgot, you know, like, I forgot what he looked like for a second. Because I was like, is this dude punking us? And then I realized, oh yeah, he just kicked butt about an hour ago. Um, and, and that's who he is. He's very chill. He's not... I do believe he really doesn't care about his public persona. What you, you know, what you see is what you get with him. And so I think that's why it's been a slow build for him to get the hype in the Bantamweight division. But for sure, people know who he is now. And you are not wrong about that. Um, you know, look, fun stuff. Uh, Marab Devalishvili got a big win. Um, really just, a you know, Pineda, a lot of guys got good wins. I actually thought that, um, Vera might be looking at Marab next just on the rankings, but I like the Jimmy Rivera fight. I forgot how high ranked Jimmy Rivera is. Probably looking for a dance partner. They have history too. I like it. I am with you there if that's what's going to happen next for sure. Yeah, it, they were supposed to fight. Uh, if you remember, Jimmy Rivera a couple of years ago was supposed to fight Brian Caraway. Caraway ended up pulling out of the fight. Vera was offered as an opponent. Rivera admittedly said, look, I turned it down. He felt it was too dangerous of a fight. And I don't think Vera wasn't ranked. I mean, he's still not ranked now. So I can, well, he is ranked as of today. But before the O'Malley fight, you kind of get what I'm saying. So uh, there is some history there. And Chito sort of explained, like, you know, what what what's happening there. And it just, it makes a lot of sense, especially with Rivera getting that huge win over Cody Stamen in his last fight. So Rivera's, I think, ranked number seven. Uh, uh, you've got Aldo, Munio, Sanhagen, Garbrandt, Sterlings. I mean, they got to remove Garbrandt. I've, I was complaining about this on my podcast. If you're fighting in another weight class and it's scheduled, they should remove you from the rankings. That's what I think. Um, but anyways, that's a podcast for another day. But uh, yeah, Rivera, lo looking at the rankings makes the most sense right now. I mean, I don't know how big of a pop culture guy you are, but... Um... Uh, I always remember when the people complain about the rankings, it's like that one line from the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, it's more guidelines, not actual rules. Yes, <laughs> that, that, that is a good quote. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, that's what it's like. Um, on that note, before we move on, you talked about you don't play a doctor on TV. You know what? You got that look. I could see you like on house in the white coat in the clinic, you know, writing prescriptions, James Lynch. You just have that look <laughs> just to you. need some glasses or something. Then I look yeah, smarter. Like the stethoscope around your neck. It's like you, you never know. know. Yeah. You never know. I we'll see. see. We'll see if this uh, fighting thing doesn't pan out covering fights. Uh, maybe maybe I'll look into doing some acting. So I, you've inspired me. We'll see. I could see you as an extra on a medical drama. You know, one of the doctors <laughs> exactly. in the room. Yeah, like shuffling supplies in the background or something. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. All right, man. You know, so obviously the breaking news, it's been the, the topic of conversation pretty much since it broke on Monday. 
John Jones vacates the title, and last night uh, Dana White confirms that Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovic will be for the now vacant, undisputed light heavyweight championship. Um, I guess let's start with the big one. John Jones choosing to step away. I mean, we've addressed it a lot. I'll say this, um, and, and I've mentioned it many times over the last few months when we bring up John Jones. Every fight now at light heavyweight, if we're being honest, it's always about, you know, can David slay Goliath? Can this probably surging, but, you know, not a superstar guy, upset arguably the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in MMA history? I mean, you know, it's that situation every time. I think that while all of these wins, they look good. Dominic Reyes is no joke. Tiago Santos is a beast. Um, Anthony Smith was on a great win streak. These are not scrubs he's been fighting. But do they add to his legacy like in 2011 when he was beating all the former champions and you brought that up? Absolutely not. And that just is what it is. Um, I personally get it. Because you want to see John Jones stay active, right? You know, he's been out a while with, um, I'll call it extracurricular activities, because then we're going to dive into a rabbit hole if we don't. But the fact is, he's already lost so much time that you feel like, you know, bro, you should stay active at this point, really. So I, I get the disconnect, but for me, and um, I, I would have said add Jan Blahovich. I feel like that was the one to really sweep the division as it stands right now, especially with Corey Anderson now going to Bellator. But I do get that he just did not have, he was at the end of the rope. He did not have one more light heavyweight fight to get motivated for. Um, look, he has set the bar very high, but I think to me at the end of the day, the fact is he, like you said earlier, he no longer felt the amount of money he was being given was worth it. He did not feel like adding to the feathers in his cap was worth, you know, the pay and possibly being, you know, somebody's crowning achievement, right? Like we said, every fight, it's about if this guy can upset the greatest of all time, right? So I understand that. I still would have liked one more because I feel like Jan Blahovic is such a uh, he just doesn't get the respect he deserves. If you look at his record and just where they put him on cards, he's gone through a lot to get to this point, and I thought he had earned it. I said that there's no way John Jones fights Dominic Reyes again. Um, it's just high risk, low reward. If you lose, Dominic Reyes gets to say that he beat you and he should have done it the first time with the decision. John Jones wins. It's John Jones. You beat any guy twice, it's like Floyd Mayweather beating somebody twice. You're Floyd freaking Mayweather. You were supposed to win that fight because you're you. Same thing for John, so I get the move up to heavyweight. Um, I guess, do you have anything more to add on the timing? And whether or not another fight, if any, should have happened for Jones at 205? Well, I think the timing's happening because the UFC is kind of like, look, we're booking these light heavyweight fights. You've got Smith and Rakic coming up in a few weeks. You've got Santos and Teixeira coming up. Um, so they just want to get the division moving. And I think the UFC is like, look, what's what's happening here? Because Jones a couple months ago was like, look, I want to get paid. And it, they just sort of left it at that. And then the UFC is like, look, you got to make a decision. And so that's what prompted things to sort of get the ball moving. But like I mentioned earlier, of some of the reasons why there's you know challenges in getting John Jones to heavyweight or what he wants to do next. But uh, yeah, it, I think right now it's just it's sort of a matter of I mean, Jones is just going to have to continue doing this. If he was to stay and was to take the paycheck he's getting, he's just going to have to keep going run of the mill fighter 
fighters, whoever's next type thing. And for him, it's he's looking at the business side of this and looking like, well, there's some bigger names at heavyweight and I've never fought up there and I have a good build for heavyweight. Uh, how could I do up there? So I think that's what it, what it comes down to as well. It all comes down to money, like I said. So um, I don't know how much the UFC needs John Jones. Maybe they don't need him. They hadn't had him for a couple of years when he was out with, uh, you know, the, the suspension. So we'll see. We'll see who bites first. But it, it's, it's all going to come down to money. If they can figure out the money part, then you'll see John Jones fight again. For sure. I think the notable thing, we know that the UFC schedule, at least in terms of pay-per-views, so booking title fights, they're good through November as of right now. That December pay-per-view becomes interesting because suddenly it's like, okay, as it stands, if Jon Jones doesn't fight again, you're kind of have to come, going to come back around to one of the guys or girls who's already fought. I think the only two options really, if not Jon, are... Amanda Nunes or Kamaru Usman, that makes sense um, when you look at everybody. So, I don't know. Will we see Stipe in December? And maybe that helps John's timetable. I'm not sure. But it becomes interesting because I truly don't know who you're going to have a headline without going back to the well for this year. Which isn't a bad thing, but I feel like everybody who has spoken has said they don't plan to return again for 2020. So... There's going to be a lot of negotiating between now and the end of the year. So, But yeah, uh, I'm with you there in terms of John Jones. I think that at heavyweight, you know, like I said, I get the timing, but I really thought we were going to get one more at 205 from him at the end of the day. So that to me was where the surprise was. Uh, we're not going to do X's and O's, obviously, but preliminary thoughts. Dominic Reyes, obviously, if he beats Jan Blahovich, he really becomes... One of these new guys at the top level for the UFC. Probably going to get that push. Uh, okay, uh, to have a bit of fun with it. If he wins the title, they're going to have to reshoot that Toyo Tires commercial that always plays. And this time <laughs> the lady picks him over Forrest Griffin. That's right. Yeah, that that's the most important thing in this matchup that, that we have to look at. But no, it's it's a really interesting fight. Um, you know, Blakovich has really uh, been unstoppable since losing to Thiago Santos uh, back in 2019. If you look at his record, I mean, just you know, just what what he's been able to do since because he had two losses in a row. People forget that in 2016, 2017, he lost to Gustafson, he lost to Patrick Cummins, which I mean, that's a fight he definitely would have liked back. I was actually at that card. That's how unnotable that fight was. I completely forgot he even lost that one. That was in Buffalo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, since then wins over Devin Clark, Jared Kanier, Jimmy Manua, Krilov, uh, Rockhold, Souza. I mean, these are good wins for him and obviously Corey Anderson, which, you know, Anderson was coming off that big win over Johnny Walker before that. So, uh, really intrigued by this one. Obviously if the UFC had it their way, I'm sure they'd want Dominic Reyes as their champion, just with, you know, a little bit more outgoing American fighter, um, things like that. But I'm looking at sort of the, the height and reach in this one. Um, you know, Reyes has a, a slight height advantage, but it's actually uh, uh, Reyes who has the uh, has the reach advantage. Or sorry, uh, Blakovich who has the reach advantage. So, um, yeah, Ed, early pick right now would have to be Dominic Reyes just because I think he's... Um, I think he's done a little bit more, and, and he's always got that threat with the wrestling as well, which is something that you know we'll, we'll see because no one's really tried to wrestle Blakovich at least recently. So uh, we'll see, but uh, I can't wait for this fight. This is about as good as it gets in the light heavyweight division without mentioning John Jones or Daniel Cormier. I'm with you there. I think that, like I said about Jan, I, I, I love this guy's game. I think that he, um, he does not get the credit that he's due for all the work he's done, but yeah, he's, he's going to have a big showcase, and that one's going to be co-main event it looks like to Adesanya versus Costa I mean suddenly that card has become a lot lot more enticing I think for a lot of the fans so that's going to be a nice one 
Um, I, I'm with you there. The wrestling of Reyes, that's kind of the big X factor, right? You feel like he, you know, with his length and his speed, he could probably hang with Jan, but you throw in the wrestling and suddenly it's a very big problem for a lot of guys. So I'm interested to see it. And then, you know, like you talked about the other matchups, you've got Santos and Tashira fighting soon. The light heavyweight division is going to pick up and I think it's going to be interesting if this is really it that we've seen for John Jones at 205. How things play out is going to be quite the show because you're going to have a lot of guys who feel like, hey, this is finally my time now. Staying active, getting fights. I'm looking forward to all of it. So I'm here for it. We are officially in a new era of the light heavyweight division. So it's going to be quite something. It reminds me of, you'll remember this, when GSP stepped away and then the big fight we had is like a war between uh, Johnny Hendricks and Robbie Lawler. That's where we're at. Officially. Yeah, I agree. And it's nice to just, you know, I love John Jones as champion. It was great to watch him fight. But, you know, it's, it's, it's good every once in a while to switch things up. You could even go with when Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman way back in the day as well, where it's like Silva was so dominant for so long. And after Weidman beat Silva for the second time, it's like, OK, now we get to talk about, uh, you know, all these other matchups in that division like Luke Rockhold, like, you know, all the other fights that he ended up having. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know what? I, I think it's it's going to it's going to make we're, we're going to see how this division moves on without John Jones. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, I I already can't wait for next month, I'll tell you that, because I feel like everybody's going to have a lot more to say between now and then, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Let's move on. So, obviously, we got the news over the weekend. Adesanya versus Costa is pushed back um, one week, if my math is right, maybe two, but the fact is it is officially happening on September 26th. No location has been given, Um, you know, obviously, will it be at the Apex in Vegas? Will it be on Fight Island, Abu Dhabi? Um, Look, so we know that it is possible to get from New Zealand to the United States. We've seen it with Dan Hooker. Um, Brazil, Verna Jandaroba, I believe, recently was able to get to the United States. So it feels like it should be possible for them to have it in Vegas. When I hear... Uh, the guys talk about it I feel like that's where they're thinking it's gonna be but then I listen to Dana and I feel like he's sown a lot of seeds to say that they're going back to Abu Dhabi my question ultimately where do you think the fight is going to be held and why I think it is going to be held in Abu Dhabi. And the reason I think that is because this, like, why are they moving this card? Why, first off, why is this fight taking so long to get made? And now they're moving it around. Like, remember, they were supposed to be on the, they were supposed to be coaches for the ultimate fighter. That was the rumor. And then like, cause we've known, like he beat Romero earlier this year. So I know we had COVID and I know there was a lot of things to figure out, but like, from my understanding, like Costa was pretty much ready to go shortly after he fought Romero. The issue is that he couldn't be ready for the fight, and that's why Romero got the shot instead. But why is this taking so long? So I, I know, obviously, like I think the UFC values this as a pretty big fight. I mean, Costa's undefeated. He's coming off a, a really impressive, a way more impressive win over you all, Romero, than Adesanya did. So I think they want to make sure they're getting their, the bang for their buck. And I know, obviously, you save money when you do things at the apex. But, you know, Abu Dhabi, they pay for everything. It's a little bit more intriguing. I think they're sort of angling at that as to the reason why they're moving this. And um, I believe what's happened, I mean, this was sort of my, I mean, I could be wrong in this, I'll get your thoughts on this, but I think because they were able to get Covington and Woodley to actually happen, they made that a fight night, so that bumped the date back, because I think the pay-per-view is originally going to be on 
that day. And then they moved it a week later um, in favor of having the fight night with Covington and, and Woodley because they just wanted to squeeze in another event there. So, yeah, I think it, it, it might be in Abu Dhabi at this point, but um, I don't have any insight on that. That's just sort of a guess. Yeah, I, I feel like the only way that they're doing it in Abu Dhabi per se is because you feel like there might be some issues for whatever reason with either of the guys. Now, why are mm -hmm. there more for them than it, any other fighters we've seen make the trip? I don't know. Only they can answer that. And I'm sure that's, you know, when they announce it, they'll give us an answer. And Dana will, you know, give us two or three sentences that make all the sense in the world at the press conference. So, but yeah. My heart is telling me Abu Dhabi too. Um, I, I would have liked to think that that extra week is just so they can keep working on travel and visas and whatever whatever you need to get a pass to come to the U.S. for the guys. But yeah, the movement makes me think they want more time to prepare to go back to Abu Dhabi and fight Island. So I'm with you there, um, which is very interesting because I feel like they would want it in Vegas because... All of the timing for all the media. You know they're going to try to get these guys on the first takes and all the other television that they can, which is just harder to do when you schedule it and coordinate it overseas. So, yeah, I, I'm very intrigued, but I, I'm feeling uh, Fight Island also. By the same token, I think with that, a lot of people are wondering what's going on with Habib and Gaethje for the exact same reason. This is a big fight. Everybody's excited. Um, they obviously wanted to get all the promotion, like I said. Do you feel like that one's going to be in Vegas or Abu Dhabi for the same or for different reasons? Different reasons, uh, but they're absolutely going to do that in Abu Dhabi. Habib's a Muslim. They have a huge Muslim population out there. Uh, he was on the UFC 242 uh, card, or not 240. Yeah, was it 242? Well, the Poirier card. That was also in Abu Dhabi. Um, I think they know, uh, you know the type of fan base that Habib has. I mean, it's different over there than it is in the US. I think Habib has a just a bigger, it's a bigger deal for him to fight over there than anyone on the roster, in my opinion. He's undefeated and there's just so much that goes into it. So I have no doubt they're going to probably do that fight in Abu Dhabi, especially with, because it's it's kind of this weird thing they have where like, as far as what I've been hearing, like the Abu Dhabi government like pays for everything. It's like free tourism, uh, you know, promotion for them, getting the UFC to stay there and, and everything else. And I think that's also why, because, you know, a lot of journalists went there to, to cover the event. And as far, like I was hearing rumblings that I think the hotels are either discounted or like almost free. So there, there's something going on there with, with the government as far as them, like, you know, having incentive to do the, do the cards there and they have a lot of money. So I think, uh, I, I think for sure, I think that's even more likely than, than Adesanya and Costa if we're, if we're being honest here. I think it's a slam dunk to put Habib in Abu Dhabi. I think you're going to see most of his fights there just with the relationship they have. Uh, to play the, you know, the one on the other shoulder. Does his fan base in Abu Dhabi matter if there's no fans in attendance? Uh, yeah, it still matters because, uh, like, I, I think it doesn't matter just in general. Like, you do bring up a good point that obviously getting the fans in there would be different. But uh, imagine telling people that you have Habib fighting in Abu Dhabi. Um, I think that's the intrigue of that is going to be even you know bigger than it normally would be. Gotcha. You know, I guess for me, the one thing about I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that we're at a typical fight night. Yes, you put him in Abu Dhabi. What, what's the matter with you? But I think the fact that they're doing it on American time, for sure, like the last time, the fact that there are no fans in attendance, I, I just don't know. And, and you bring up a great point about the tourism. It was very obvious. The entire deal was built on the basis that you are giving Abu Dhabi every bit of promotion you can without calling it, you know, 
uh, Abu Dhabi fighting championships. That was very clear from three weeks on Fight Island, for sure. But I, I don't know. I guess I, I got to see it play out. For sure, Habib wants to fight in Abu Dhabi for the sake of the travel and everything else. I think he's just more comfortable uh, keeping it a little more, um, you know, just closer to home in terms of his travel. I think overseas and all that, that's just a long flight. If you can cut it and still get all the same amenities, why wouldn't you? But um, it'll be very interesting. I, I, I really am interested to see if they give another reason, if any. But my heart at the end of the day is also telling me Abu Dhabi. I think that um, they're going to push that. Assuming, like, look, we got to see, because I think the first Fight Island, it was such a success, right? I actually think the September pay-per-view, it's going to be very different. And I remember we they had this when Manny Pacquiao first fought in Macau. And they were like, oh, we're going to bring all the reporters and all this to Vegas. We're going to bring the radio people. We're going to make it seem like the fight is here. But it's actually, you know... For whatever reason, even though it's held overseas and all that, somehow there's still a disconnect. And I really am interested because now that it's not brand new, the Fight Island, is that going to have an impact at the end of the day on sales for Adesanya Costa? It shouldn't. It definitely should not. But if it does, does that change their strategy going forward? So I think that's what's going to, that's just what's going to happen. And so I'm interested to wait and see how it all plays out. But yeah, in my heart, I think that they're going back to Abu Dhabi for this one. Yeah, we'll we'll see. It's it's certainly very interesting. And you know, it's interesting too. I still uh, who did I interview recently? And they were talking about how they really want to fight in on uh, Abu Dhabi. Oh, it was Anthony Smith. He was telling me uh, when I interviewed him last week that he wants to fight on Fight Island. Like, there's still a lot of fighters who find that whole situation intriguing. So, uh, curious to see if you know, like, like I think there's, you know, people think it's kind of like a cool thing. So, I don't know if that'll play a role into it as whether the UFC wants to go if fighters are like gung ho about it. But, well, like you said, we have to keep an eye on it. Oh yeah, and, and mind you, I, I get it. It's certainly who wouldn't want that, you know, like, oh, yeah, that time I went to Abu Dhabi to fight and we were in the desert and there was no people and blah, blah, blah. We were in the middle of the apocalypse. I definitely get it. Mm -hmm. um, final news hit before we uh, talk about Frankie Edgar and Pedro Munoz. Paige Van Zant to Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships. Now, when this first happened on the show, I think, uh, you know, you guys will remember if you listen, um, we were just uh, scratching our head. I thought somebody was just throwing something out there to try to get uh, retweets and followers. And pretty much we find out last week that Paige Van Zandt is going to be earning over a million dollars to fight bare knuckle. Uh, James, I hear this and I think a lot of people are, you know, the obvious one. Well, what about Instagram? And you know how, look at Jason Knight after that fight with Artem Lobov and et cetera, et cetera. I'll say this. I don't think Paige gets enough credit for being willing to be a real fighter. She's not in it to lay and pray and have easy matches. She is going out there and she is competing for the top dollar. Uh, on her note, that's pretty gangster. In terms of everything else, well, what happened with Bellator, it just seems like her ticket was just a little too expensive for them to pay. And I think that that's got to be saying something about the, the sign of the times because... I feel like in her heart she probably wanted to do it, but it looks like as soon as you saw the discrepancy, that's really what made her willing to do bare knuckle. 
Uh, and for the record, I don't think that she's about to be put in there with killers. I do think that she's in it to make money. I don't like to say this bluntly, but I'm going to. I don't see her exactly getting pushed to the limit. I think they're going to put her in some fun but very winnable fights for her contract. I, I agree with you. Um, I've talked about this at length. I did a video right when the the fight was in, or when the fight when the uh, when she signed with Bare Knuckle. I I did a, like a pros picks video last week, just getting the reaction or pros reacts video last week to asking the fighters their thoughts on it. And you know, a lot of people have the same reaction, the one I had, which is like, why would you go and do a sport in Bare Knuckle, which is so brutal, when you know a big part of what is making you a lot of money these days is the way you're marketing yourself and you're putting that at risk essentially by you know fighting stand up. But the more I've thought about it, the more I thought that. Um, you know, I kind of disagree with you there a little bit and that's good because we've pretty much agreed on everything on the entire show. So we got to, we got to spice this up a little bit, but, uh, I don't think Paige is going to be fighting very tough competition. In fact, I'd be willing to bet behind closed doors that they're like, look, like I'll fight for you guys. I'll be the face of bare knuckle. You guys are going to pay me all this money. That's awesome. But you're not going to give me like, you know, some former pro boxer or something like, I think they're going to give her easier fights and they're just going to make her the face of the promotion. And they're going to play this whole angle of like, you know, I'm, I'm not just a dancing with the stars alumni or I'm not someone that's just you know a part-time fighter or whatever but they're not going to give her like there's no way i could see them giving her someone that she's going to you know potentially go out there and get her face smashed in and i know she said you know she's been willing to pay for plastic surgery but like does she really want to do that i don't think so um you know i, I like Paige. i think you know good for her she's in her 20s and she's going to be you know making way more money than i'll probably ever make in my lifetime like you know multi-million dollar deals so all the power to her and i get it i mean you want to go where, where the money is and i don't know how she would have done in bellator to be honest because you know does she beat an alumina like mcfarland right now i don't think so um so really that was going to be you know how how far could she go in bellator i think with bare knuckle like, who's she even going to fight? Like, no one even really knows. I know people throwing around Beck Rawlings' name, but, like, is she even allowed to take bare-knuckle fights with being with Bellator now? Like, I don't even know. So um, whoever she's going to fight is someone that's unsigned, that's not tied into the UFC or to Bellator. So I don't imagine the competition's going to be that fierce anyways. But they know that people will tune in because they just want to see what it's going to look like. Uh, the area of concern I have, obviously, is that Paige was not really known as a striker. I mean, she was more of a ground specialist. A lot of her wins uh, were by submission. So... You take that tool away. She's really got to figure out a way to, you know, up up the striking a little bit. So my view on it is that, you know, good for her for making as much money as she can. And I think you'll see if I had to predict, I don't think you'll see her fighting fierce competition over there. And that's not a knock on her. I mean, she's got she's got to make money like the rest of us. So, um, you know, but that's sort of what I see happening. I might have misspoke, but James, that's exactly what I said. I was with you there. I hate to say it, but we have agreed unanimously. Well, on no, the no, show. no. I think. Well, no, no. I, I, I sort of meant with your comment where you said, like, you know, credit to Paige if she's going in to do this. But I think that that's like her saying that is kind of a mask for what's really happening. Like, I have no doubt that she went behind closed doors and been like, "Look, you guys can pay me all this money, but I'm not fighting like the top boxers like out there. Like, I'd be willing to bet there's some sort of agreement." And this whole thing about her saying she'll get plastic surgery, I doubt that even happens. I think they're going to give her just easier opponents, and they're going to go there. Barrett. Uh, but yeah, it's a friendly, friendly debate. I get it. I get it. I get, I get it. I get it. Now yeah. I get it. I was like, wait, James, that is what I said. I know. It is what you said. Yeah, no, I just meant that saying about her saying that, like, I want to test myself. It's like, no, I bet behind closed doors she's like, look, like, I'm not fighting like a former pro boxer. Like, this face is not getting smashed up. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. I'll fight for you guys, but that's the stipulation. Like, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that because she knows that she can make a lot. Of, like, look at her followers on Instagram. It's crazy. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's probably what's going to happen, though. No, I'm with you there. And look, it's common sense. Like, and mind you, if you're making that much money, any kind of combat sport shouldn't be common sense. But I would say this. If I was making that Instagram money, you there is not a contract that would get me to risk that. 
Sure, mm-hmm. you know, so I, 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 all right, we're on, I get you, I get you. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and, you know, let's round third, head home. This Saturday, uh, Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz. Frankie Edgar finally moving down to Bantamweight. Um, this one lost a little bit of steam because they lost a good fight with Yoel Romero. But um, honestly, I guess the big question, do you see Frankie Edgar being drastically different at Bantamweight compared to Featherweight? Yeah, that's the interesting thing here, because the thing is, it's not like he's making this move and he's early in his 30s. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's almost pushing 40. So, you know, typically what we've learned in, you know, the data that we have with MMA fighters is that typically when they make the move down a weight class later in their career, they don't really look very good. Um, You know, there's a few exceptions to the rule, like Jose Aldo's looked a little bit better, but Aldo's not as old as Edgar. I mean, people forget Aldo's only like 33, so it's not that old that he's moving down. But I don't think it's going to be a tough cut for him. He should have probably always fought at Bantamweight in his career with his build and everything. Um, But yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is is an interesting test, and I'll give credit to Frankie here. He could have fought a lot of other Bantamweights on the roster, but Pedro Munoz, very, very, very dangerous. We saw that when he fought Cody Garbrandt. This is a guy who has knockout power, has a great ground game. People also forget that he's, I think, the only fighter in the UFC to submit Rob Font. So that's another big win for Munoz. Big layoff for Munoz coming into the fight. But I think an interesting test here, because look, um, I did a video of this for the show I do every Monday called Octagon Outlook. Is this the end of Frankie Edgar as a contender? Because I'll tell you what, uh, Gabe, if he does not go out there, uh, Gabriel, by the way, I know I'm not supposed to call you Gabe, so my, my apologies mm-hmm. on that. But uh, but in general, I think if, if Edgar does not win this fight, I think the days of him being considered a contender are over because I think this is the test. If you can beat a Pedro Munoz, you are absolutely a contender in this division. If you cannot beat him, and let's say it's like a total beatdown, then it might be the end of Frankie Edgar. And I do wonder if this fight's going to end with a stoppage because, you know, Max Holloway was not able to finish Edgar in the rematch. Um, uh, Brian Ortega was able to finish him. Korean Zombie was able to finish him, but those were at 45. Can Munoz finish Frankie Edgar? Gun to my head, I'm saying no, but I do think Munoz is going to win this fight. And how could you not go with the guy that's, you know, his last loss, the most recent fight he had, was to the guy who's, you know, arguably the, the number one or number two bantamweight in the world. So that's not a bad loss to have as far as that goes. So we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, I think to answer your question, uh, could he be faster? Perhaps. But we really don't know until he steps in there and see see how he looks in that weight class. Because for some fighters, they don't look good at all. And for others, they look, you know, interesting. Like Edson Barbosa, he looked pretty good at featherweight uh, despite having a tough cut. So, um, so we'll see on Saturday. Yeah, to me, um, I've always said this about Frankie Edgar. He is like your favorite flavor ice cream. I don't care what year it is, what day it is. You <laughs> always know what you're going to get from Frankie. That is the level of consistency he's had over the years. Um, you know, sharp boxing, great footwork, high volume, great cardio. Now, at Bantamweight, is his durability there? Let's be honest, it's very hard to take him out. He took the fight with Zombie on short notice and Ortega got him. But traditionally, you know, just really over the years, he's been a very hard guy to put away. And mind you, Korean Zombie is one of those guys with a lot of pop in his hands. Brian Ortega's a beast uh, in terms of being a physical specimen at 45. So, you know... Frankie Edgar cutting that weight, can he take the hits? Can he stand up to it compared to a natural 35er like uh, Pedro? I don't know. That is a very key question, especially when you know that Pedro's got the power that he does, as you saw against Cody. I think for me, look, all of the skills and the knowledge should be there for Frankie. I think that um, this is a very important night to bring back your ground game. I know he trains with a great team out of, uh, you know, out of Jersey, and they've got that whole circle going on. He's trained with Marlon Moraes, who's great on the ground. So I think that 
I, I do still favor Frankie, but I am with you there because I think that if Frankie doesn't win, the time of just staying in the title picture, no matter what day it is, really is probably over. And, you know, then you got to start asking Frankie Edgar, are you in it for the fights or, you know, are you in it to try to win that big one one more time? Because if he has a setback here, I can't tell you confidently that in a short time from now, he's going to be beating one or two top contenders and he's in a title fight within 12 months. I really don't. So, yeah, I I'm with you there. I think that this is a very, um, I don't want to say make or break it because only he knows why he's in it and how long he's going to do it for. But, yeah, in, in terms of his uh, time as a title contender, I do think that this is uh, this is going to be the big one. For sure. More than any others. And I know he's had a lot of chances and he's rebuilt himself, but that's my point. So we are split. We have a nice healthy split there for you, you know, Mr. Lynch. I've got Frankie. You're going Pedro. Let's see how it all plays out on Saturday night, man. I expect a tweet from you if Edgar wins saying how wrong I was. That's how that's how we keep people interested in the show, you know? Of course. That, that is yeah. uh, what I aspire <laughs> to Typical every day. trash talk. That, that's, that, that's what I like. But no, it's, I mean, could Edgar win? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm looking at the odds now. I see Munoz is almost a three-to-one favorite. That's a little crazy, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, Munoz also had COVID. He's been out since last June. I mean, there's a lot of interesting, that's, I love like a matchup like this. It's so intriguing to me because there's just so many questions and, and we're going to get a lot of answers on Saturday, like you said. And I, I talked about it in, in my video is that, you know, I don't think Peter Munoz, he's not a gatekeeper, but this is certainly like the perfect test for Edgar to see where he fits because I think Munoz is a contender. And if he's able to beat Edgar, that's going to show that. But if he, if Edgar can beat him, then Edgar's in that spot, in my opinion. So we'll see. Really exciting fight. Oh, yeah. If Edgar wins, he's suddenly, you know, a step behind um, Aljo and Marlon in the Bantamweight division just on his star power, if you ask me. So. Yeah, this and also, you know, on that note, can we get the Bantamweight announcement already? I mean, what are we waiting for? What's uh, is Pyotr Jan still enjoying his parade in Russia? I mean, well, it's so weird. He did an interview on the Bash the other day, and he's uh, he was saying like, you know, Sterling should be next. It's probably what's going to happen. But what's what's the holdup? I mean, we got Cody at flyweight now. We can ignore that BS. Let's call it what it is. I mean, Cody should have never even been close to a Bantamweight title shot. I don't think he deserves a featherweight shot, but that's a podcast for another day. Um, but you've cleared out all the all the guys that could potentially fight for the title over Aljo. So what, what's the holdup? You're right. We'll we'll see. Hopefully soon we'll we'll get some answers. I'm not sure. I do wonder. Is there something going on with Jan maybe that like, I mean, he did an interview yesterday, like I said, saying that he's, he wants to fight Aljo. Is there, is there something holding him up? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what that would be, but uh, it just seems so odd they haven't announced this because everyone loves Aljo. That guy's great. Good interview. Good fighter. Well, what's the holdup? So we'll see. And I, ironically, you know, I was there. He was right there from Rob Valishvili on Saturday and he looked mm -hmm. in good spirits. Obviously, everyone kind of, you know, he walks in and it's like, it's like, hey, man, like, psst. <laughs> where we at you know <laughs> but yeah so there's something i don't know I, I feel like they they gotta be waiting for something i'll say this i think they're waiting to see what's going on with december because uh, um and i talked about it last week i know you weren't here but um the decision to double up the flyweight champs i don't think you feel like pewter yan can carry a pay-per-view no. aljo or anybody else so are you waiting to see what you're doing with his undercard? Because let's be honest, if you were to, say, have Stipe versus Nganu, you know, I'm not saying that it's disrespect, but we've seen it with Valentina. Uh, mm -hmm. Pyotr could be headlining a non-pay-per-view card. 
and they could be possible. Something. I'm actually going to go a different direction here. So I don't think Stipe and Naganu fight this year. I think Stipe's taking the rest of the year off. They're going to run that back next year. I think that'll happen, similar to their first fight. It'll, I think it'll be like early January. I this is what I think is going to happen. I think you'll see the Yawn and Sterling fight if it does happen as a co-main event to Usman and Burns. I think that's what's going to happen because that's that's the other fight they haven't announced yet. I think that's that's the I think they're going to do that for the December pay-per-view because if you remember, uh, Yawn fought Faber in December as well last year, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that's kind of the idea there. Good point. Well, why can't we announce that and just add Boone, Burns and Maybe Usman we're waiting later? for Usman. Maybe they're waiting to announce that first and they don't want to announce the uh, the, the, the co-main event. Hey. I, I don't know. Who knows? I, I never try and question the... I mean, the UFC's got a lot of weird stuff when it comes to their booking, so I don't even try and decipher it. I just sit back and, and take it all in. Uh, UFC math, man. It's worse. <laughs> hey, sometimes it's worse than regular math. Almost. Exactly. I'm with you. I'm with you. No, but um, James Lynch, this has been a great episode. It's always great to hear your insight. It's always great to hear your opinions, man. So I appreciate you hopping on and having some fun talking the news with me. Where can fans find you on social media to keep up with all of your stuff? Everything is the same at Lynch on Sports, Twitter, Instagram. You guys have any questions for me? My DMs are open. I'm always uh, answering questions from you guys because I want to be accessible. I wouldn't be able to do this as a full-time job if I didn't have people tuning into my content. So I make it very uh, open and everything like that. I want to thank you, Gabriel, for uh, having me on the show. Uh, keep up the great work. I swear, every time I'm watching these media scrums, there's always a Gabriel question in there. And uh, you're hustling. I think people are noticing. It's been great. I'm glad to be uh, working with you a little bit over at uh, Cage Side Press. I love uh and everyone else over there they do some you guys do some fantastic work so it's been uh, cool to be a, a part of that as well and uh you know hopefully when they open up these borders i'll actually be able to to be on the front lines with you and uh, cover an event but i can't get in the u.s right now they're, they're keeping us on lockdown with this covid stuff so uh, we'll see when i will be able to get down and do another event soon but uh yeah nonetheless man thanks for having me on i always enjoy uh, doing your podcast Hey, I'll write you. I'll write a letter to the necessary people that be yeah, about. Doctor okay, Trudeau, we got We got to figure something out here. We got to. We got to get in there. Make make my uh, make my work essential. We'll see. I, exa- I mean, he seems like a man of the people. I feel like we could convince him. But yeah. no, um, no, James, I appreciate it. Yeah, once again, I mean, uh, I I would like to say, let's be honest, you're kind of everybody's coworker. I can't keep track of how many outlets you can. <laughs> Ten outlets, for. I think. Ten outlets, two promotions, and I'm doing the weekly show with Cyborg too, which has been just honestly one of the the nicest surprises I've had out of this whole freelance thing. Uh, I'll give you guys a little bit of insight there. I was actually initially I was gonna be because you know I do video editing as well. I was initially gonna start editing Chris's. She's gonna do like uh, video blogs, and I said, and and they're like, oh you looking for some work and I said yeah like I do video editing actually one of the jobs I have now I do uh, I do social media editing so I post clips for uh, line movement which is a company I work for and uh, so yeah I said I was gonna do that and then we just I don't know what I don't know where they're just kind of like you know what do you want to just interview Chris like that's what you're good at like you're known for it like I'm good at editing too but they're like do you want to do a weekly show I think it would be good for Chris and good for you to you know get news out there and I said yeah sign me up so it's been we're only three episodes in but the response has been great it's been great working with Chris I love doing interviews with fighters like Chris who like you know you you know, English isn't the first language, so you're really having to work, you know, a little bit harder to kind of get the chemistry going. And it's been it's been awesome. If you guys haven't watched it, subscribe to Chris Cyborg's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Chris Cyborg. Uh, it's been fun. We don't just talk about her. We talk about stuff going on in the news. We, uh, you know, we tackle a little bit of everything. We talk about some of the stuff she's doing outside the sport, like, you know, raising chickens and just all this cool stuff. So it's been it's been a really pleasant surprise there. So that's been uh, been a lot of fun as well, too. And uh, yeah, just wanted to mention that as well. 
The man with the million jobs. I'm. Mean, hey, I'd just like to point out, Ariel Helwani only works for one place, man. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I, I'm the Outlook King uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, so I'll, I mean, I'll agree with that. You work with just about everybody at some point or another. But look, it's a testament to your ethic, work ethic and just really, once again, I can't praise your work. We see that you talk to everybody and I think that as media members, you know, you have the respect of everybody and I think that's saying something in a business where we all tend to be, you know, we're all trying to compete for the same piece of the pie, right? So mm. uh, just uh, my respect to you. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate all of that. I am trying to get out there and, you know, provide for the people and get the same entertainment that I get out of watching these events. So I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. We'll be back next week. We'll be recapping fights. Next week, Alexander Rakich against Anthony Smith. That'll be a good one. Until then, take care.